We're going to look in Luke 1. We're going to look at two different reactions to the word of the Lord. And you know, those first 30 seconds after God speaks are probably the most vital in your lifetime. Those moments right when God speaks to you, whether it's through His Word, through a prophet, through some other means, those moments when you know the Lord has spoken, that first reaction is priceless. What you do in that moment, how you respond to God, sets the course for the rest of the the fulfillment of that Word. So sometimes the way we react sets our course uh, a little bit off to the right, a little bit off to the left, where we, we kind of believe it, but we don't fully believe it. Sometimes what we say right after, what we feel right after, sometimes we get that back on course. Sometimes we react wrong at first, and then we get our act together, and we get on the right track. But I want you to know that the best thing you could possibly do is respond accurately and rightly to the word of the Lord. That you would respond as He wants you to respond. That you wouldn't respond in fear. You wouldn't respond in doubt. But you'd be able to respond in faith. Here's what happens in Luke chapter 1. As you know, the first story that's told is the birth of John the Baptist. And his parents are really old. Much like Abraham and Sarah. Really old people. And she had never been able to have kids. Somehow God loved bringing special people through, through mothers that couldn't have kids. He, he's done this throughout history, and somehow it was a big deal for him. And uh, Zechariah, of course, had, or Zacharias, sorry, had a very important position, and he was, he was uh, doing his priestly service. And we're going to start in verse 5 of chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, Judea, sorry, there was a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abiah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So that means that Elizabeth was also of the priestly order. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. That was before God promised them anything. You know, sometimes people get their act together after God makes them a promise. They were just, this is just who they were. And it says, they were walking righteously and blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, and they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both advanced in years. Now it came about, while he was performing his priestly service, he was before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the kingdom, uh, temple of the Lord and burn incense. So this is how they decided the Lord's will before the Holy Spirit came. They cast lots, and uh, God did use that method. That was, not a, that was not chance. God did control the outcome of the lots that they cast. The last time they did that was choosing the 12th apostle to, to uh, replace Judah, Judas, sorry, Iscariot. Iscariot, man, my words today. Thank you, Jesus. Control my lips, control my tongue. So replacing Judas Iscariot, they chose one guy by lots. Then after that, the Holy Spirit came, filled them on the day of Pentecost, and they never had to cast lots again because they had the Holy Spirit in them. So they picked who was going to go into the temple, and Zacharias, it was his lot, he drew it. And so here's what happens. And then the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. Verse 11, And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. 
And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. That's huge. Filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb. First and foremost, people weren't permanently filled with the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant. There were times where the Holy Spirit would come upon them. There were times, we see later, when Elizabeth was filled in order to prophesy. And then, as far as we know, she didn't stay filled. But little John, even in the womb, filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says, while he will turn back, in verse 16, many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. You see, his question wasn't born in curiosity. His question didn't come from, oh, that's good, so just so I know how to plan, when's this going to happen? His question wasn't, how are you going to do it? His question isn't, how's it going to happen? Where is it going to happen? When's it going to happen? What's his question? How will I know? See, when an angel shows up before you, that's how you know. Here's a tip. Gideon could take the same tip, right? How do I know? How do I know you're telling the truth? <laughs> and the scripture so wonderfully states, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Randy and I were just talking about that. Life and death in the power, the control, the strength of the tongue can determine life or death. Not just your actions. The scripture doesn't say life and death is in the power of what you do. That's true too. But life and death is also is, is, is so much contained in the power of your tongue and what you say. Why? Because James says in James chapter 3 that the tongue is the bit that controls the horse. The tongue is the rudder that steers the ship. So the first thing you've got to do when the Lord speaks to you is get your words right. Get your tongue in the right direction. Because if you can begin to speak the right thing, everything else will follow. And I know people say, well, it doesn't really matter. It's not what you say, it's what you do. But the truth of the matter is, and the Scripture says this, what you say will eventually shape what you're doing. Jesus said it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, what comes out of it. That's your problem, is what you're saying. That can also be your solution. For Jesus, same Jesus said, if you say to this mountain, move, be cast into the sea. It doesn't say if you feel it. It doesn't say if you silently pray it. If you wish it, if you stare at it hard enough. He says, if you say it, get out, cast into the sea, and don't doubt in your heart. You see, because the heart and the mouth have to go together. The Bible says, we believe, therefore we spoke. It says, that with your heart a man believes, and with his mouth he confesses, resulting in righteousness, justification. So we understand that your heart and your mouth got to work together. But you want to steer your life, you want to steer the results, you want to steer how you feel, begin to say the right things. 
This is not New Age theology. This is not some flaky, weird, uh, you know, book that you found on Oprah's network. This is Scripture. That's why confession is so important. As you look at the word confess, it simply means, literally means, to say the same thing. As who? See, we've turned confessing, uh, in, in the secular world at least, confession means you're admitting to something. Right? Confession means I'm going to come to you and admit something. But really, confession means to line up your words with something else. To say the same thing as someone else. To pick sides with your words. And when we confess our sins before the Lord, we're taking sides with Him. We're agreeing with Him that that was wrong. We're agreeing with Him that that is not it's not for us. We're agreeing with Him that we're taking the other side. We're taking sides with Him and putting those sins on the other side. When you confess your sin, you're getting on the same side as God. You're saying, I confess with you that that is wrong. I confess with you that I'm forgiven. I confess with you that because of your blood I'm made righteous. I confess that I am who you made me to be and I confess I'm not going back to that vomit again. It's an important thing. Your tongue will steer the ship. It is the, it is the, the rudder that steers the whole ship of your life. So, bad move, Zechariah, to say, how will I know? Why? Because that first thing showed, did not just show doubt. See, that's where we get it wrong. Sometimes we think words just betrayed what you were really feeling, and they do. Your words also shape what you're going to feel. You start out on that note. You're going to continue on that note. So Gabriel does him a big favor. Now, can I ask you a question before we go any further? Gabriel, what kind of, what kind of divine, heavenly being was he? He was an angel, which means messenger, right? He was a messenger. The only time you ever see Gabriel, he's delivering a message. Do you think Gabriel's improvising? <laughs> he's coming up with his own thoughts. Well, God said this, but I bet I can spice it up a little bit. I know this guy. He's not going to like that. So I'm going to sweeten it a little bit, add a little sugar to it, and we'll see if he likes it then. No, Gabriel does not have the ability to improvise. Gabriel is not given permission to improvise. He is given strict orders, and he does not have, like you have, uh, such freedom. Now, now, angels do have a will because we know that a third of them turned away from God. But it only takes one strike and they're out. So Gabriel's learned. Say what you're supposed to say. One strike, you're gone. And I, I'm not going to do that. So, so Gabriel says exactly what God says. He is, simply, he is simply a carrier of the word of the Lord. He is not, he's not an interpreter of the will of the Lord. He is, he is, he's not a speechwriter for God. He is just a carrier of the word. So what Gabriel says is what God said. It's not what Gabriel said. You're not believing Gabriel. You're believing God. And Gabriel does him a giant favor. He says, Zechariah, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And because you're, you're, you're shooting that gun all over the place, I'm going to take away the power of your tongue for a bit. Now, we don't think that's a very nice gift. Because Zechariah actually said, because you've not believed, I'm going to make you mute. You're not going to be able to say anything. But that's probably the best thing he could have done for him. 
Because Zacharias, because you are in a priestly position, because you're the father of this child, you are in a unique position to mess this up. <laughs> and I'm not going to let you do it. I'm going to do you a favor and shut you up until this baby is born. Then you can't mess it up. Oh, that God would treat us with such favor, huh? We've said this before, and many other men of God have said this before, but it is a truth that if life and death is in the power of your tongue, and there is power in what you speak, the more power you want, I mean, if you really want to pray with power, if you really want to speak and mountains move, we better control that tongue. Because we're God to give us the power in our words that we're asking for. We really would need to be careful where we point those words and what we say. See, Jesus was controlled in what he said. He said only what the Father told him to say. So it was no surprise that demons left. It was no surprise that Lazarus got up. It was no surprise that the wind died down because Jesus could be trusted with the power of his words. But you don't want at this point, I mean, uh, I mean, when we first get born again, I don't think you want to have the power in your word that Jesus had right away in everything you say. Imagine. I... I uh, I mean, imagine what would happen if God said, Light be. Then he stubbed his toe. And he cursed. He would have destroyed the world, wouldn't he? <laughs> of course, he'd never do that. And God never stubs his toe. We know that. But at the same time, I believe there's power in the Word of God. Now, I believe the real power is not simply in your words. The real power is when you join your word to his word. Because it's His Word that contains the real power. I'm not saying that you have some magical, mystical power in your words. Really, the real deal is when you join with Him. When you confess. Confession is not just about saying something enough that you believe it. Confession is about lining yourself up with the Word of God. So what Zechariah did was he said, How will I know this is going to happen for certain? He doubted the Word of the Lord. God did him a favor, shut him up for a while. And then what happens is is that we find out that in verse 26, the same angel Gabriel shows up on a different mission. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. As you, as you might think, you might think this is the nicest thing anyone could say to you. Why are you troubled? Well, it doesn't mean that she's troubled as in that she thinks it's a bad thing. It means that she's perplexed. That this doesn't, she wants to know what does this mean when an angel shows up and says, Hail, chosen one, favored one. You got picked. You're chosen. For what? I want to know for what? You know, you don't just automatically... She understands this is an angel. And maybe, maybe he's got something for me to do. Maybe he's got something big. I want to know why I'm favored. Why Chosen for what? Blessed for what? What, what? What's the big deal here? And he says in verse 30, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? 
Notice she didn't say, how will I know you're telling the truth? She still asked a question. But her question was not, her question was in childlike innocence. Her question was like, how is that going to happen? It wasn't, it wasn't like, well, how, how do I know you're telling the truth? Or, I mean, I don't know. You better give me a sign that this is really going to happen. She just goes, how are you going to do that? It's okay to ask that question every now and then. I'm not promising you'll get an answer. Sometimes God says, it's over your, it's over your head, dude. You don't know. But, but she didn't ask in doubt. She just said, how is this going to be? I'm a virgin. How am I going to have a kid? She didn't, she didn't say, no, that couldn't happen. She didn't say, no, well... I mean, you've got to prove it to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set out a fleece, and it needs to be wet in the morning and dry the next day. I mean, she didn't say any of this. She said, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answers her, and he says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she was called barren, is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, now listen, you notice he didn't just say nothing will be impossible for God. He said nothing will be impossible with God. He said this, and Mary said, Behold the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now that's an appropriate response. Look, whatever you say, boss, I mean, behold, I'm your servant. Yeah, I'm your son. Yeah, I'm your daughter. But I'm also your servant. And here's what I'm going to say to you. Let it happen just like you've said. Just like you've said, so let it be. That's the best possible answer. When you can't figure out what the right thing is to say, just repeat what was said to you. Sometimes you've got to be just like a little kid. Where when God says, when God is taking you around, teaching you how to learn to hear His voice, and teaching you how to listen, and teaching you how to obey. And He comes and He says, piano. And all you got to do is go, piano. And then He says, look over here, water. And you just go, water. Sometimes that's all you need to do. Just agree with Him. Repeat what He says. When you get good at that, maybe you'll find some more words to say. But the best thing you possibly do, just say what he says. And she says, okay, whatever you say, boss. Let it be done to me according to your word. She's signing up for a big thing. Don't think she's not thinking about the fact that she's a teenager, doesn't have a husband. Don't think she's not thinking about the fact that you just said this was the Messiah in code. He said he'll inherit the throne of his father, David. He put a lot of code words down that basically mean... He's the Messiah. And He's coming to your house. And you're about to be under a lot of scrutiny. You see, Mary, for the rest of her life, even near the last moments of Jesus' life, one of the things they accused Him of was being the son of a loose woman. Was being an illegitimate child. Which tells me for the rest of her life, she had to put up with people talking about her. For the rest of her life, she had to put up with people who disrespected her. For the rest of her life, she had to put up with people that never quite understood that this was the Son of God. Because even Jesus' own brothers at one point didn't believe in Him. Can you imagine that? Your own kids don't really believe the story? She knows what she's signing up for. But the best response you could ever have, because you know, listen, we serve a loving Father. 
And so nothing He's ever going to do with your life is going to make you worse. Nothing He's ever going to do with your life is going to hurt or damage your life. Everything He does is for your good. Everything He does makes you better. So the best thing you could always do is just say, okay. Yes. All right. Whatever you say, let it be done to me according to your word. Not my word, not my family's word, but yours. Those first 30 seconds after God speaks to you, first 10 minutes, first day, first week, are huge. Because if you can get your tongue pointed in the right direction at that point and start agreeing with God, even when it doesn't make sense up here, right? Because do you think, she goes, how can this be since I'm a virgin? He gives her an explanation that doesn't make a lot of scientific sense. Holy Spirit will overshadow you and nothing will be impossible with God. Oh, thanks. Is that a textbook form right there? He's kind of vague in how it's going to happen because really he says, Holy Spirit's going to come over you. You're going to have a kid in the womb. There's not much more to tell you. So she's still probably having some doubts. How's this going to feel? What's going to go on? But all she says is, okay, yes. Yes. And now listen, what happens is she immediately goes to somebody that she knows will get it. (laughs) The only other person mentioned in the angel Gabriel's little speech, not little speech, but his, his word to her, his message, the only other person mentioned was Elizabeth, right? He said, behold, Elizabeth. So that means behold to me means, you know, look, gaze, pay attention. So she just tags on to that and goes, okay, well, I guess I'm going to go see Elizabeth then. And she goes to the only person in the world that probably isn't going to criticize her right away. That's valuable too. You know, we do need godly counsel. We need some people that aren't always going to be yes men. I don't really want friends that will always agree with me just because I said something. But at the same time, you don't want friends that automatically find everything wrong with what you just said. (laughs) That automatically doubt everything that God's ever said to you. You want godly people that, that will consult their spirit as well, and you believe that God will confirm this with these people. But she didn't go to all her relatives. Listen, you've got enough friends. Everybody in this room, you've probably got enough friends that know the word of the Lord, that can encourage you in the word of the Lord. And maybe they'll call you out. If you start saying something flaky like, I, oh, God told me he was going to give me a pet unicorn, that they'd get on to you for that. And they'd say, I don't think so. I, I don't think that's God. Because, you know, I've seen groups of people that develop a little cadre where, where they just say yes to everything they all say, and pretty soon they're believing some pretty weird stuff. Because they've all just amended each other to death, and they just believe that, you know, yes, oh, oh, I saw purple. You know what that means. We know what that means. You know, and they just get kind of weird. And just like, none of this is in the Bible. Yes, but we've built up a doctrine of our own. I don't get into that. You do need friends that are grounded in something. Grounded, feet on the ground, but head in the clouds, right? You need some friends that believe. That's what I'm saying. Believers. Whose first reaction to the word of the Lord is, Amen. First reaction. And so that's not always your relatives. Right? (laughs) How many of you come from a church service? You're all fired up. Thanksgiving meal. You're with the rest of the family. And you say, you know what the Lord said? Really though, in this economy, that's what the Lord said. You know, and they're just probably not the best people to talk to. 
Don't worry, don't cut them off. Just don't tell them everything. Like Joseph, you know, probably the best people to tell that you're going to rule over your brothers. It's not your brothers. <laughs> Ponder something in your heart here. Find a goat. Talk to the goat. So Mary did the smart thing. She went to the one person she knew would get it. The other person that Gabriel... Well, Gabriel didn't talk to her directly, but Gabriel talked to Zacharias. The other person that was supernaturally conceiving. And she runs to her. It says she made haste. She made haste to the hill country, verse 39, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And when it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting... She didn't, hear, she didn't hear Mary say, I'm having a baby. She didn't hear any of that. She heard her greeting. Hey, Elizabeth. As soon as that happens, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, why was she filled? She was filled so that she could say this. And she cried out with a loud voice. So, listen, what she's about to say is not coming from Elizabeth. What she's about to say is coming from that spirit that just filled her. And here's what she's about to say. She cries out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As far as I can tell, Mary has yet to say, Yeah, by the way, I was visited by an angel. Maybe there's just something left out of the Scripture, but... If I'm reading correctly, it seems like Mary goes, Hi, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth goes, Whoa! And begins to prophesy. <laughs> because, you know, if she's prophesying by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't need your extra knowledge. The Holy Spirit knows, right? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Now listen, before we go on to the next huge verse, I want, I want to say, these are the kind of friends you need to have that are tuned into the Spirit of God. That you go to those friends with the people that you've heard. I'm not saying they're your yes men that will always agree with you. But I am saying they're people that are tuned into the Holy Spirit so that when you say something that's from the Spirit of God, something leaps up inside of them. And they go, I know you heard from God. Because I heard it too. Now, maybe one of those times they go, I need to pray about this. And that's okay. Maybe one of these times they go, I think you're a little bit off. I think you're filling in the blanks a bit. And that's okay too. As long as they've got a track record of somebody that's grounded in the Word and full of the Spirit of God. Right? We're not here to judge everybody and make sure they line up to every qualification perfectly. And people aren't really the source that God is meant to be in your life. But I'm saying it's important to find the people that will hear from the Spirit of God and encourage you by the Word of God. Here's what she says. The baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Blessed is she. Now listen, who's saying this? Elizabeth, right? But who's really saying it? Holy Spirit, who is Spirit of God. So who's really saying it? God's saying this. He's saying, I'm going to tell you, you're blessed, Mary, because you believed that there would be a fulfillment of what I had spoken. Now ask yourself, how many people has God spoken to? Countless. How many people has He even spoken to in this room? A whole lot. 
We're not going to ask this question, but it's good to consider how many of us actually believed that that would happen. I mean, really believed it. So much so that it moved you to do something, or it moved you to pray differently, or it moved you to say something differently. We've all been spoken to by the Lord. That is not something reserved for special people. The Bible says that all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So if you expect to be a child of God, you've got to also expect to be spoken to. What did Jesus say? My sheep follow me because they hear my voice. So that means that, to me, that pretty much lays it out and says it's impossible to follow Jesus if you can't hear his voice. Now, the first way you hear his voice is through his word, right? We have the Bible, which is the word of God, but he also speaks to our spirit. So that means you can't go through life saying, well, I've never heard God. If you've never heard God, I'm not sure you've ever followed him. You've got to look at the word and say, I heard him in his word, right? Because that's the word speaking to me right now. I'm not saying that you're always going walking like this, waiting for God to tell you that you can brush your teeth. I'm saying that you are actively tuned in. You're opening the Bible, saying these are the answers. This is God speaking to me, that God speaks to you when you pray. Now, that may not be a paragraph. That may not be a sentence. That may not be speaking like, you, like you'd speak to one another. But it means that you're led by your Spirit. That you walk by the Spirit. and You're led by His Word. These are important things. The, also, the ultimate thing is blessed is the person who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken by the Lord. That person's blessed. The person that believes, it's not the person that God speaks to that's blessed. It's the person that believes that there'll be a fulfillment. It doesn't even say blessed is the person that believed that God actually spoke to them. Blessed is the person that believes that there will be a fulfillment of what God has said. In other words, bless the person that believes that God will keep His Word. That He actually will follow through. I mean, the Scripture talks about, Peter talks about, in Second Peter, he talks about all these people that will fall away because they'll start to say, where is the promise of His coming? Look, they'll actually fall away from the living God. They'll actually go the opposite direction because they say, He made a promise and I don't think He's going to keep it anymore. Peter says he's not slow about his promises. He's patient. There's a big difference. Because he's not waiting to come back because he's just slow. He's waiting to come back because he wants, he, he desires that all should come to repentance. And he's patient with us. Thank God. And so, so when we say, listen, I may not see it, but I am going to begin to say what God said to me. And when little John is born, He's born into the world and they take him out. And, and for eight days he doesn't have a name because that was the way they, they did it. First eight days of the baby's life, it's just baby. Then you take the baby, if it's a boy, you take him to be circumcised. When he's circumcised, he's given a name. The custom at that time was that you named, there were names that remained in the family. And that was how you named people. Much much like cultures today where, where there are certain names that just, you know, that's what you, you, you got to name after the grandfather, the great uncle, or whatever. And so, somehow Zacharias had communicated with Elizabeth because Elizabeth has this boy and she says, Zacharias still can't talk. She says, 
His name is John. And the relatives go, there's nobody in the family named John. Can't name him John. It's out. Because this is what relatives do. <laughs> nope. It's out. Can't do it. Pick another name. And, and they just figure that Elizabeth is just cuckoo. She just had a baby, whatever. And, and so they go, to, they go to Zacharias. Zacharias, you're reasonable. And they're making signs to him. Now, I don't know. Maybe he could hear and just couldn't speak. And they, they didn't clue in that it was possible to hear and not be able to speak. I don't know. But they're making signs to him. Wouldn't that be frustrating? I can hear you. I just can't talk. I don't know if that's the case. But anyways, they're making signs to him. What's the name? What's the It's not going to make any sense on the CD. And so, what's the baby's name? They're making signs. They're trying to figure it out. And uh, so, Zacharias says, bring me a tablet. You know, that's the original iPad. You know, bring me a tablet. He says, I'm going to... And he writes down, his name is John. And at that moment, his tongue is loosed. And he begins to speak. You see, that was his last, his last act of belief. His last act of agreement was to agree that this is John. And now listen, when he says this is John, that's more than just a name. Because now he's saying, I agree with everything the angel said. Not just that I'm going to have a boy, but I agree with what the angel said about this kid's future. About his destiny. Because this isn't an ordinary kid. This is the kid that will prepare the way of the Lord. That will return the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Back to the children, to the fathers. This is John. When he says that, his tongue is loose. When he writes it down, his tongue is loosed. And the first thing that's done with that tongue is to prophesy. And I'll read you what he says. Verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old salvation from our enemies and from all, the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now, listen for a minute. We're going to take a pause. He's prophesying by the Spirit of God, right? Do you notice the theme of this? The theme to me, one of the main themes is, this is what I've promised, and it's happening. This is God saying, I'm keeping my word. I'm keeping my word. Listen, he says things like, he has visited us and accomplished redemption. In other words, He promised redemption, but now He's accomplished it. What do you mean He's accomplished it? Jesus hasn't even been born yet. But in His mind, through the eyes of faith, the plan is set in motion. It's done. He's accomplished it. He says this, He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David His servant. As He spoke 
by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. So this is God speaking through Zechariah saying, I promised and I always keep my promises. I gave you my word and I never break my word. And here it is. Verse 75. Verse 76, sorry. And you child, prophesying directly to a baby, you go, what point is there? The baby doesn't understand what you're saying. That's not completely true baby does not have the cognitive ability to grasp what you're saying. Absolutely, that's true. Your, his brain is not fully developed. But his spirit is developed. And when we speak to our kids, even in the womb, we tell them what the Word has said. They may not get it up here, but something's happening here. And he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now you may see this in your Bible but he's quoted about three different verses in this period of time. God quoted his own word back to them. Why? To show, I gave you a promise and I'm keeping it. This is it. This is it. It's another big point. When God first speaks, you need to believe it. But you need to keep believing it. When Jesus came, not a lot of people were expecting him. They should have been. When Jesus came and did everything the Messiah was supposed to do, fulfilled how many prophecies, they didn't believe Him. Why? Because they stopped believing what God had said. They stopped expecting it. They could teach it. They taught classes on what the Messiah would do. But when He stands in front of them, looks them in the eye, and they feel His breath, they don't believe it's Him. Isn't it weird to you that the people that knew the most about Jesus before he was born were the people that didn't recognize him? The people that spent all their life getting degrees on what Jesus was supposed to look like killed him, murdered him. Because knowledge on its own is not enough. There has to be faith. There has to be belief. There has to be expectation. Pastor Jimmy preached last week, there must be expectation. If there's no expectation, it shows that we never really believed God. If I said I'm coming home in five minutes, I would hope that you'd expect me in five minutes. The problem is that God often gives these open-ended promises that don't give a timetable. And we want God to say on March 3rd, 2013 I'm coming to your house and I'm bringing $300,000 praise the Lord okay excellent so March 3rd we're ready but you know most of the time God doesn't say it so specifically <laughs> he doesn't give you a time and a date he just says this is what I'm going to do believe me I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to do it. Sometimes he tells you how, sometimes he doesn't the most important thing is that you believe he's telling the truth and that it'll happen Blessed is the person that believes that there will be a fulfillment of what has been spoken by the Lord. And so here, 
He tells Johnny, he tells little Johnny, this is who you're going to be. And twice already there's been the reference about preparing the way of the Lord. I can, I can tell you pretty assuredly that Zechariah kept telling John that as he grew up. Because the next verse we find out is that the boy went to the wilderness and grew up there. Now, my assumption is this. Now, this is, this is just my assumption. So, we've been talking about the Scripture. Now, take my assumption, okay? You can make your own assumption here. My assumption is that his parents were so old that they died when he was young. So, when, he, when his parents died, he goes on and says, What's Dad been telling me all my life? Go to the wilderness. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. I guess I better go there. He goes... Either that or his parents are still alive. And he goes, okay, you said I'm the voice crying in the wilderness. I'm going. I got my backpack. I got my tent. I'm leaving. Either way, he's been told enough times that God said, this is who you are. And he took it so seriously that he actually went out there and lived in the wilderness. He took it seriously. Then one day, he's been doing what he's been doing. He's preparing the way for the Lord. And so people come up to him and say, Who are you? And he said, they said, Are you Elijah? He goes, No. They said, Well, who are you? And he says, Well, let me tell you. I am the voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. I, am, I mean, he begins to quote the prophecy back because it was so real to him that he believed that this is what God said I was, so I'm going to say, if I don't have any other answer, I'm going to say what God said. When you don't have the answer, just repeat what's said. Here's the trick. Do you know, how you, you know how you know when you have the answer? It's exactly what God said. So it's a nice loop. When you, know the, when you don't know what else to say, and when you do know what to say, you just say what God said. You just repeat what's been said to you. You don't add to it, friends. So many mistakes have been made by people trying to color in the blanks that God hasn't filled in Himself. So many Ishmaels have come out of us trying to fulfill the end of God's Word. Just do and say what He said. I wouldn't want God to have to do you a favor and shut you up for six months. Three months, sorry. Six, nine months. That's how long a baby's in a womb. I should know this. <laughs> Thank God He does not have to do that to us. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say it at all. But even better, say what the Lord says. Train your tongue to train the rest of your body. Because here's what it will do. It will set on course the rest of your faith. It will set your feet will follow your tongue. Your heart will follow it. Everything will follow. What you, if you just say, I confess, He's right. I confess you're right. Whatever you said, let it happen to me. Hebrews says, let us now hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Without giving up, without changing, without diminishing it, without watering it down, without getting a little weary in it. Let's hold fast to it without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And that's why. Because the one who makes the promises, God, is always going to keep them. He is always faithful.
He is always faithful. He never lies. He never could lie. He will never break His word. He's never, he's never had a shortage of strength that has forced Him to give up what He said. He will always keep it. And blessed is the person that believes that there will be a fulfillment of what He said. That is able to say, I may not know how, but I believe it will happen. That is able to say, not how will I know it will happen, but maybe, hey, how is this going to happen? I know it will, but how are you going to do that? And if the Lord doesn't give you a clear answer, you just say, okay, well, you know what you're doing. And when someone asks you, here's the real test. The real test is not necessarily what you say to God. That's, that's a big deal. The real test comes in when someone else asks you. There are times that you don't need to tell everybody what everything God has said. Some things are meant to just stay in here. But if it's meant to stay in here, don't say anything else contrary to it. You know what I mean? If you can't, if God has not given you permission to say what He told you, don't say anything. Keep your mouth shut. Unless He gives you words to say, shut up. But if He said, okay, listen, I'm going to tell you, this is who you are. This is who the Word says I am. No, you look in the Bible, you find out the Scripture says this about me and all of you. We're included in this through Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is me and I can say this with confidence. Then say that and don't say anything that goes against it. Don't say anything that even alters it. Say what God said. It'll steer the rest of your life in the right direction. It'll steer your faith. It'll steer your prayers. It'll steer even your sleep in the right direction. Just say what he says. Amen.